Well, I encourage you to open your Bibles once again with me this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, find the book of Psalms, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. It's a familiar book to many of us, I know. Uh, It's a familiar book to us as a church because we recently read through this book uh, as part of our Old Testament readings. Uh, as we were studying the book of Acts, we read through this, and I didn't comment on it a whole lot, but now is my chance uh, to dig a little deeper into this great study. And so I'm looking forward to this new study of the book of Ecclesiastes, which will take us into the fall. This is, I suspect, for most of us, a daunting and difficult book. It's got some memorable taglines that we remember, that we hear even in our pop culture from time to time. No doubt, the book of Ecclesiastes is is daunting and difficult, but of course, being part of Holy Scripture, it is, we must acknowledge, profitable. Profitable for our instruction, profitable for our training in righteousness. And I hope to not just lean on that, but to show you how profitable Ecclesiastes is. I really believe that Ecclesiastes is a book that both asks the questions that many people in our world are asking, and it reminds us of what our lives are really all about. Technically, the book of Ecclesiastes fits into the classification uh, that we would call wisdom literature. But here at the outset of the book, I think it's important, particularly with this book, for us to consider and point out what is biblical wisdom. Because biblical wisdom is not knowing everything. Biblical wisdom is not being able to control every situation. No, biblical wisdom is learning to see things rightly. Biblical wisdom is learning to see things from God's perspective and learning to trust Him, to trust His ways in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the complexities of our lives. That's biblical wisdom. And it's important to recognize and remember that because it reminds us that we don't approach the book of Ecclesiastes as a manual on life to teach us a bunch of how-tos. No, what we find in the book of Ecclesiastes is a man wrestling with life. Not necessarily telling us how to live it. And it's through the wrestlings of Ecclesiastes. It's through these wandering reflections, even through the cynicism that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes, that we are pointed not just to what we need to do, but what we need to see. The perspective we need to have. And what we need to be as followers of the Lord Jesus. Some have argued Uh, And I know this is a kind of a lengthy introduction before I even read the passage, but this is the first sermon on the book. Some have argued that the book of Ecclesiastes 
is, is, is the musings of a man that is far from God. And therefore, essentially, the whole book is false teaching with just a few kernels of, of truth here and there. I disagree. And that's not the way we're going to approach this book. To the contrary, I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is a man is the experience of a man who has experienced life in all its empty fullness and wants us wants to prod us in another direction. Frankly, Ecclesiastes is a messy book because Life is messy. A lot of ink has been spilt over who wrote the book. The author doesn't put his name on it. Your ESV translation that I know many of you have in your lap says that these are the words of the preacher. I'm just going to tell you up front, I think the preacher is Solomon. Not everyone agrees with me on that. But in reality, it's not necessarily crucial that we know exactly who the preacher is. See, preacher is the English translation of the Hebrew word koheleth. And koheleth is this term that's related for an assembly. And so, really what he's describing is, I am someone who speaks, who addresses an assembly. Koheleth is where we get the Greek word ecclesia which turns into the anglicized rendering, Ecclesiastes. Just so you know kind of where we get the, the, even the title of the book. And so let's listen. Let's hear from the preacher. The preacher that I think is Solomon. Listen as I read. This is God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns." All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun." Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to begin this morning with a well, with a line from a well-known movie. 
see if you can pick this line. I'm terrible at picking lines out of movies, but maybe you're, you're good at it. I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I want to do something big. Something important. See, these are the words of George Bailey. In one of my favorite films, It's a Wonderful Life. They are words that confess that an ordinary life in Bedford Falls just isn't enough for George. Now there's more to see. There's more to be gained. There's got to be more satisfaction outside of the limits of this little town. And frankly, friends, they are words that echo the longings and the pursuit of so many in our world. We want to do something big. We want to do something new and, and different. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be filled. And so we pursue. Oh, we pursue. We pursue work. We pursue recognition. We pursue reputation. We pursue meaning from this life. It's the human condition. The question is, what do we find? What do we find when we pursue? Well, there are two things that the preacher, not this preacher, but this preacher, there are two things that the preacher wants to teach and remind us of this morning. Two points, two truths to this sermon. And the first one is simply this. Life is frustrating and short. Revelation of revelations. Life is frustrating and short. Herman Melville, the well-known author of the classic Moby Dick, once wrote about Ecclesiastes saying that this is the truest of all books. And indeed, as we start our study of this book, as we jump in and the book opens, it does so with a solid dose of the harsh realities of life. These opening verses that we just read, they serve not only as the introduction, but as the conclusion to the entire book. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That's the conclusion. That's the bottom line of the book. But the preacher also gives us the keys to unlock that, to unpack that. To be able to see rightly everything that we will see in the weeks to come. Two phrases in these opening verses that we'll hear over and over again. And I want you to follow along with me in your Bibles as I point these out. The first phrase is what's packed into verse 2. Right? It's the English word found in the ESV as vanity. Now the Hebrew word that's translated into English in, as vanity meaningless in some other translations. That word is used 32 times in this book. The book's only 200 verses, but that word vanity will be used 32 times. It's an important word. But I think when we think about vanity, when we think about that translation of the Hebrew word 
pebble. I think we immediately think about, at least I do, I think about Pilgrim's Progress. I think about Vanity Fair. And we kind of put our minds in making a moral declaration that the preacher here is, is somehow saying everything is morally corrupt. But that's not what he's saying. Now what he's saying when he says vanity of vanities, all is vanity, is he's talking about the, the brevity and the futility of life. A literal translation might be breath. Or the much cooler word, vapor. Life is a vapor. Poof. It's gone. No lasting substance. We find the same word in Psalm 39.11 when it says, Surely all mankind is a mere breath. The same sense is conveyed in the New Testament. In James 4.14, What is your life, James says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. And the preacher puts kind of an exclamation. Not only does he pack that word into one verse, but he makes an exclamation point. He says, vanity of vanities, vapor of vapors. In other words, this is absolute. In the same way we might say, Holy of Holies, or King of Kings, or Lord of Lords, or, or for you kids, if you say Infinity Blackout. That's it. No more. All is vanity. A breath. A vapor. Well, the second crucial phrase that we find in these opening verses in, is in verse 3. Look at it there. In verse 3, we find the phrase, under the sun. 29 times the preacher will use this phrase. And he will remind us again and again that we live our lives under the sun. In other words, we live our lives in a horizontal existence. Our lives are bound to earth. We would all acknowledge that. But what the preacher wants to show us by not telling us is that there are some who believe that that's all that there is. There is no God. There is no reality beyond our senses. And so the preacher's frustration here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, his frustration with life and existence is as he sees it from a godless standpoint. From a secular world view. Indeed, life under the sun is pointless. Another author, Ernest Hemingway, once wrote, life is a dirty trick. If this is all there is, indeed it is. But for the preacher, there is a point to pointing out this pointlessness. There's a point. And he invites us. He invites us in these opening verses and throughout the book, he invites us to take off our rose-colored glasses, to think hard, to think deeply about the realities of our existence. And see what you find. Life is frustrating and short. That's what you're going to find. That's what you're going to find, but 
He doesn't want to just tell us that. He wants to show us that. And so he's going to show you. He's going to remind you by having you look at all that's around. And so under this first point of life is frustrating and short, uh, the preacher gives three areas that show this. The first, the first way that life is frustrating and short is that there is no gain in life. We see this in verses 3-6 through six and, and in verse 11. There is no gain in life. In modern terms, life is a stinking treadmill. I hate treadmills. I love to run. But I hate treadmills. This endless monotony of the same steps in the same place at the same pace with the same scenery over and over and over again. It's terribly frustrating. And the writer to the the writer of Ecclesiastes says it's the same way with us. It's the same way with all that we try to do. It's the same thing with our work. So this word translated gain in verse 3. What does a man gain by all the toil? He'll repeat that eight more times. And toil, he'll repeat 22 more times. He's really just setting us up for the rest of the book. But that word gain is a, is a business. It's a commercial term that has to do with what kind of progress you're making. And the writer, the preacher says, there's no progress. And to illustrate the fruitlessness, the repetitiveness, the fleeting nature of our work, he gives several illustrations. He says generations. He brings up the idea of generations. Notice that he doesn't say generations, generation comes and goes. That's the way we'd normally hear it, right? A generation comes and goes. But he says a generation goes, in verse 4, and a generation comes. It's almost as if he's putting the emphasis on the fact of we're going to be replaced. Right? We're going to be replaced. And ultimately, we're not going to be remembered. All that we're building will deteriorate. And it will become nothing. It's like that frustrating cycle of going to the beach and spending hours on a sandcastle only to come back the next morning and it's gone. All that work, all that effort, only to be washed away. It's like generations. Generations go and they come. And then he brings up the sun. He says, look at the sun. The sun simply, it's like on a, it's on a treadmill of its own, right? Comes up in the east, goes down in the west. Comes up in the east, goes down in the west. And literally, it says, it says the, the, the word that's translated here is hastens. We actually could translate it as pants. The sun pants to the place it started. Like, oh, here we go again. It's quite a different view of the sun, isn't it? A, a very cynical view of the sun. Not the same view that David gave us in Psalm 19. The same thing every single day. And then there's the wind. The wind just roams around. It eventually comes around to the same place it's always been. And the writer says, this is it. This is our lives. This is our work. This is our existence. We are born. We live. We work. We die. (laughs) 
Stephen Crane. I got a lot of quotes here from authors. Stephen Crane, Red Badge of Courage, Stephen Crane, wrote a, uh, wrote a poem and it says, I saw a man pursuing the horizon. Round and round they sped. I was disturbed at this. I accosted the man. It is futile, I said. You can never. You lie, he cried. And he ran on. And that's it. It's the reality of our existence and it's the reality of trying to speak that reality to others at time. Life is a treadmill. That's the first reality of a frustrating and short life. But secondly, he says there's no satisfaction in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. There is no satisfaction. Preacher has us look to the sea. And forget everything you know about the science of evaporation. And just think about what he's saying. Streams, they never stop flowing. They go to the same place. They're always going there. And things never change. The sea never fills up. And we apply it to life. Life, he's saying, life is a hunger. Life is this appetite that can never be satisfied. And this is where I think it's helpful to think about this, this passage, this book, from Solomon's view. Because Solomon... Solomon, we know that he has tried to fill his life. Riches, wisdom, wives, wealth. He had all that the world to offer. And yet, near the end of his life, this is his cry. Life is frustrating. Life is short. There's no gain. It's a treadmill and there's no satisfaction. Try as you might to fill yourselves and you just can't get full. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but NFL quarterback Tom Brady has been in a lot of hot water recently. He's been in the news a lot, for those of you who follow sports. He's won four Super Bowls. He's married to a supermodel. He's made $150 million in his career so far. And in the 2005 interview, after stating all that he had accomplished, he says to the interviewer of 60 Minutes, he says, there's got to be more to this. And the interviewer says, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. It's a fascinating admission. Modern admission to the fact that life is frustrating because you can't even, you can't get full. Well, the last thing under this first point, not only is there no gain, there's no satisfaction, but there's really nothing new. And to this point you say, well, I object. We see new things all the time. Have you seen the latest Samsung phone? In a sense, yeah, we, we do have new things, but not really. I mean, really, we've just learned to do things differently. We still move from one place to another. We just do it now with airplanes and cars. We used to do it with horses and trains. We still communicate with one another. Now we just do it faster and from greater distances. Because we've made technology our God at, at times, we, we just assume that whatever way we have discovered of doing something different is a better way. 
when that's really a lie. It's not necessarily a better way. And so the writer says, we've been here before. We, we, we have the same challenges that we've always had. It's really nothing new. Life, birth, life, death, sin, relationships. See, the conclusion of the preacher is that life is a vapor. Life is frustrating. Life is short. Life is a mere breath that is ultimately fruitless, unfulfilling. It's just the same old thing. Well, you are dismissed. No. I mean, that's super encouraging, right? Yeah, thanks, Pastor Nate. Glad I left my dark house for this message. You know that's not the end of the story. There's life. We live and we breathe and we move about. It's a universal human experience. But there is not any real life under the sun. Not any real existence under the sun unless there's more to the story. Unless there is a place different than under the sun. Maybe there's a place above the sun, outside of the sun. And that's exactly where the preacher, where the Holy Spirit who inspired these words wants our hearts to go this morning. And it's where we want, it's where we want to take our neighbors and our coworkers' hearts to go as well if we can just Get them to stop numbing themselves and to stop distracting themselves and really think about the reality of their existence. Because if they do, they will come to the conclusion that indeed life is frustrating and short with no gain, no satisfaction. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus. You say, Jesus isn't here. Yes, He is. Jesus is here in Ecclesiastes precisely because He is absent. The second truth. Yes, life is frustrating and short. But brothers and sisters, friends, we have an anchor now and forevermore. We have an anchor now and forevermore. In the midst of a breath. In the midst of vapor. We have something of substance. Hebrews 6.19 We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. In other words, we have Jesus. The old preacher Charles Bridges said we are permitted in this book, to taste the bitter wormwood wormwood of earthly streams in order that standing by the heavenly fountain, we may point our fellow sinners, and I would add our own hearts, to the world of vanity that we have left and the surpassing glory and delights that we have newly found. No gain in life, right? Life is frustrating and short. Nothing to be gained. Oh no, there is value in Christ. 
Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. John 15, 5, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. And so in Jesus, we are not caught on a treadmill. Or we feel it sometimes for sure. But we're not caught there. It's interesting, as I was thinking about this passage, Psalm 127 came to mind. Do you remember that psalm? We studied it years ago. But do you remember who wrote it? Solomon. Solomon only wrote two psalms that we know of. Psalm 127 is one of them, and it starts off like this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sheep. You see, in Christ there is value. Life is not a frustrating treadmill. But there's fruit. No satisfaction in a frustrating and short life, we say. No, in Christ you can be filled. Right? Jesus is the one who said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall not hunger. He who believes in Me shall never thirst. And David experiencing that intimacy as the Lord's anointed in Psalm 16 says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The Lord is my portion. And then finally, well, we said there's nothing new. Nothing new in a frustrating life. But friends, in Jesus, everything is new. Everything. We have a new covenant A new approach to our God. A new intimacy that we never had before. We have been given a new heart. We have a new self according to Ephesians 4. We have been made new creations, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth where all things will be made new. Jesus is the answer to the fleeting life. One commentator says, no philosophy of life can satisfy if it leaves out Christ. But do not despair. There is a life to be lived every day. And in the succession of apparently unrelated events, God may be served and God may be glorified. And in this daily service of God, we may find pleasure because we are fulfilling the purpose with which God made us. You want something big? You want to make something of your life? Run to the One who left the glories of heaven that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. You want a legacy? You want to be remembered? Well, you need to die to yourself. 
You need to live for your neighbor. You need to live ultimately for him. You want satisfaction? Then you've got to stop trying to fill yourself. And you've got to run to the one who's invited you to rest in him. The preacher is right. Life is a vapor. Frustrating and short. But it doesn't have to be, friends. Grounded in the Gospel with the anchor that is Jesus, we can truly have life. Those around us can truly have life. This is the reality that we must believe. And that we have the privilege of proclaiming to those around us. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I thank You for Your Word this morning. I thank You how it pulls our gaze away from the monotonies of life from the mundane things and it reminds us that You are present in the mundane. That the monotony is not an end in and of itself. But that as we go about our work, as we go about our lives, it is not an exercise in futility, but in Christ, it is fruitful. It is beneficial. It is lasting. Oh Father, as we have just scratched the surface of this wisdom book, we pray that You would teach us. That You would impress these truths upon us. Help us to see the implications at Microsoft tomorrow morning. In our home offices tomorrow morning. On the, on the job site tomorrow morning. Help us to see, Holy Spirit, what these things mean and how they ought to change us. Father, we thank You for Your Word. and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.